John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. Verses 15 through 17. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. Christ puts Peter upon a threefold profession of his love unto him, answerable to his threefold denial of him. His threefold denial required a threefold confession. True repentance ought and will be as eminent in the fruits and effects of it as the saint's fall has been. A threefold denial of Christ shall be attended with a threefold profession of love unto him. Observe, too, the solemn question put by our Savior unto Peter, Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me more than these? That is, more than thy occupation and employment, more than thy nets and fishing boats. If so, leave them and wholly employ thyself in feeding my sheep and lambs. Or, more than these, that is, more than the rest of my disciples. Dost thou love me more than thou lovest these? Or more than they love me? If so, evidence the sincerity of thy love to me by thy care of mine. Thence note that ministers who were called to take care of Christ's flock had need of much love to Jesus Christ and great compassion for souls, by which they will be animated and fortified to go through with the labors and difficulties, as well as to encounter the dangers and sufferings which do accompany their calling. Simon, lovest thou me? Feed my flock. Note farther that the surest argument and best evidence of a minister's love to Jesus Christ is his conscientious care to feed, that is, to teach, instruct, and govern the whole flock of Christ. Lambs and sheep, weak and strong, the feeblest in the fold were purchased by the great shepherd. And if he judged them worth his blood, well may we may judge them worth our sweat. Note again that such as would be faithful in their ministerial charge ought to look upon their people as committed to them by Christ himself, as loved of him, and committed to their care by him, and for which they must be accountable to him. Christ calls them three times over his lambs and sheep, and as often charges Peter to feed them. Observe next, Peter's threefold answers Christ's question. Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Where note, one, the great modesty of Peter in his reply. Lovest thou me more than these? says Christ. Peter replies, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He doth not say, Lord, I love thee above them all and before them all. Here is no boasting now. Once it was said that Peter vaunted, though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. But now his fall had taught him humility. He boasts not of his love above others and makes no comparison with others, but only ranks himself among the true lovers of Christ. Lord, I love thee. Note 2. The evidence that Peter gives of his sincere love to Christ, he dares appeal to Christ himself, Lord, 
Thou knowest I love thee. Yea, thou art omnipotent and all-knowing and heart-searching God. Thou that knowest all things, knowest that I love thee. Oh, it is a blessed thing when we can and dare appeal to God's knowledge, and it's a matter of high consolation to know that God knoweth our sincerity and love unto him, and he knoweth and approveth us as such. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Note lastly from these words, Lord, thou knowest all things, an argument of Christ's divinity. He that knows all things, and particularly the hearts of all men, is God. 1 Kings 8.29 But so doth Christ, if St. Peter's testimony here be true, saying, Lord, thou knowest all things. That is, say the Socians, very many things. But this would have destroyed St. Peter's argument at once, for it follows not that Christ knew the sincerity of Peter's heart, unless he knew the secrets of all hearts. And if he knew the secrets of all hearts, he is really God. Verses 18 and 19. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walketh whither thou wouldest. But when thou be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Thus spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Burkett notes, In these words our Savior forewarns Peter of his future sufferings, intimating that he should prove more stout than in his former trial. When he was young and inexperienced, he enjoyed his liberty. But when he was grown older in years and stronger in grace, he should willingly stretch forth his hands and quietly suffer himself to be bound to the cross. For Peter, say some, was not nailed, but tied and bound to the cross only. And so was a martyr or witness for the truth of Christ glorified God by his death. Learn hence, one, the ministers of Jesus Christ, when they undertake the charge of his flock, must prepare for suffering work, and their lot upon it. Therefore is this prediction of Peter's suffering joined with his former injunction, Feed my sheep. 2. That human nature in Christ's ministers, as well as in other men, reluctates suffering, has an antipathy against a violent death. They shall carry thee whither thou would not. 3. From the time of St. Peter's suffering, when he is old, learn that the timing of the saint's suffering is in Christ's hands. He can, and when he pleases, doth, screen them from suffering till old age. And when their work is almost done for God, they close their days with suffering for him. When thou art old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee. Learn lastly, that the suffering of the saints in general, and of the ministers of Christ in particular, do redound much to the glory of God, which is a consideration that ought to reconcile them to the cross of Christ, and support them under it. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Verses 20 through 22. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, what is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Burkett notes, 
Our Savior, having foretold the manner of Peter's death in the foregoing verses, here in these, Peter is inquisitive after and very solicitous for the knowledge of what kind of death St. John should die. Christ checks him for his curiosity as meddling with that which did not concern him, yet intimates to him that John should live till he came to take vengeance on the Jews and destroyed Jerusalem. If I will that he tarry till I come, that is, till I come to execute judgment upon Jerusalem. Here we may note there are two great vanities in men with reference to knowledge. The one to neglect to know what is our duty to know. The other a curiosity to know what does not belong to us to know. Christ tells Peter it was none of his business to inquire what John should do, but he ought rather to be preparing for what he himself should suffer. If I will that he tarry, what is that to thee? Verse 23. Then went his saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto them, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Burkett notes. Observe here how strangely our Savior's words were mistaken and misunderstood by his own disciples. They apprehend presently that John should not die, and so it's past current among them. From hence we may note how much the wisdom of God is and ought to be admired in giving us a written word and tying us to it when we see erroneous traditions so soon on foot in the world, and our Savior's own speeches so much mistaken, and that by wise and holy men themselves in the purest times. Much more may the words of others be misreported and rested contrary to their sense and meaning. How great then is the vanity and uncertainty of oral tradition! Men are naturally prone to mistake themselves and to mistake one another. The more to be admired is their over-daring ignorance who think they cannot err. Such a haughty opinion of a man's self concludes him to be neither good nor wise. Verse 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Burkett notes. The great modesty of the holy evangelist St. John is all along throughout his gospel very observable. He mentioneth himself hitherto under a third person. He calleth himself a disciple, a learner, who excelled the most accomplished doctor of the ages ever since. Here he speaks more plainly and expressly concerning himself, declaring that he was an eyewitness and an eared witness of what he wrote, for the greater certainty thereof. And this protestation here made by the evangelist of the truth of what he wrote, was highly necessary, lest any should think that Christ's extraordinary love and affection to him, he being the beloved disciple, should move him to exceed, as we are prone to do, in writing the history of their lives who are dear to us and we to them. Learn hence that this gospel was written by John, the beloved disciple, and the narration is of divine truth, worthy to be embraced and received by us as a perfect rule of faith and life. We know that his testimony is true. Verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Burkett notes, John, being about to conclude the history of our Savior's life, asserts that there were many other miracles and special deeds done by Christ, both before and after his passion, which he had not recorded or set down, because should all that Christ did and said 
be committed to writing, it would even fill the world, the volumes would be so many. From hence we gather, one, the wonderful activity, industry, and diligence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was never idle, but that his whole life was spent in doing good. Because, should all the particular instances have been recorded, it would amount to an incredible bulk. Learn, too, that it is impossible to get all said which might be said of Christ, and in his commendation, such as the transcendent excellency of his person and the weakness of our apprehensions and judgments, that if all were written which might be written concerning him, the world itself could not contain the books which should be written. Learn, lastly, that although many of Christ's sermons, conferences, miracles, and actions be not recorded, yet it does not follow, nor can it be inferred from thence, that any necessary doctrine is omitted, or not sufficiently confirmed, there being so much written as it pleased God we should know, and was necessary for us to know, in order to our improvement in faith and holiness. If, then, after all the revelation and discovery which God hath made of his Son, Christ Jesus, and of the way that leads to eternal salvation by him, persons remain willingly ignorant of him, and of their duty to him, where shall they appear, and how shall they escape?